1: Agenda.
0: A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath.
1: Okay, guys, so we have the Biden speech. Unlike most other presidents who normally give their first address in February, a precedent established by Ronald Reagan. Trump, by the way, gave his first address on February 27th, 2017, which was five weeks into his presidency. Joe Biden opted to wait Maybe due to COVID, I don't really know, because there was really no difference from what we (laughs) would have seen in his address last night to what we would have seen in February, unless he was waiting to be able to say he had accomplished something, uh, or possibly the optics of having a 100 days speech. I don't know. Typically, when they make these addresses, these addresses to a joint uh, Congress, you have an audience of about 1,600 there were less than i believe 200 people available or not available but in attendance at last night's speech and negative covid tests or proof of vaccination were required for entry um this was not this was not a good speech it really wasn't and uh, i'm just saying that as a i'm not saying that even in a without looking at the substance, necessarily, even of the speech. It just wasn't... It was not the inspirational moment that the media and Democrats are trying to portray it as. And across the board, it would seem that polling suggests that Americans, by and large, are not necessarily wanting a lot of what the president is pushing. And I just... I. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with President Biden. I don't know how much he is aware or not aware. There are certain elements of his actions and activities that give me cause for concern. But his speech was basically uh, We did all the things, we're the reason you can have a life again despite COVID. And we need to spend trillions of more dollars, but don't worry because we're going to get all of that from the billionaires and millionaires who are cheating on their taxes and hiding all the money that should be ours, and that's totally fair. And also, by the way, get vaccinated today because there's vaccines for everybody, and after you get vaccinated, you can be just like us and keep wearing your masks and social distancing despite the fact that you've gotten vaccinated and we're telling you that the vaccines work. So just, I that was kind of my takeaway it was not it just wasn't good and the media the media is failing all right they were so good they were so good at fact checking when trump was in office and i'm just can you can you tell i'm a little fed up today i'm a little fed up today i really am because i forget who it was somebody has like turned off their fact checking they were like yeah we're no longer gonna do the fact checking (laughs) i can't remember i i read it I don't remember which uh which service it was, but somebody just like stopped their fact-checking branch of their mainstream media outlet. And I was like, oh, "Okay." And then the people that are still fact-checking, their fact-checking is like so different than it was when Trump was president. It's just unbelievable. And I love people on the left that are like, "Well, that's because Trump needed to be fact-checked and he should, he, he was just fake news all the time and Biden doesn't need to be fact-checked because everything Biden says is true." No Guys, that I hate to break it to you, but that is that's not it actually. That's that's really not it and if you if you can't see the media bias, I don't even know what to say anymore. And and granted it is on both sides and but neither I feel like neither side can see that their side is biased. And but they definitely can see that the other side is biased. And until we recognize that both sides are so biased, huh. <sighs> so Uh, We fact-checked Trump during his presidency. We went through his speeches, so we're just going to do the same thing on this program. We're going to try to treat everybody equal, so let's talk about this. Uh, We had uh, the president talking about the American Families Plan, uh, said that we need to pass, or we passed the American Families Plan to revitalize the economy. Uh, Because it's human infrastructure. So here's what you need to know about the actual plan. It costs $1 trillion. It allocates $225 billion to child care, which, by the way, if you look at the actual statistics on this, the, the child care that the president is pushing in this highly, highly favors um, uh, the paid work preferences of parents ages 18 to 50. Universal child care is a massive subsidy to the lifestyle preferences of of the affluent over the preferences of the middle and working class. According to Mr. J.D. Vance, who got the source from American Compass Home Building Survey of 2021. Anyway, so then uh, $200 billion for universal pre-K hundreds of billions in education funding, after, by the way, he goes in his speech about not needing a college education, he then proceeded to tell us how he's going to spend another billions of dollars on uh, funding college education, including tuition-free community college. The American Jobs Plan will revitalize the economy. It will actually cost us $2.5 trillion, raise the corporate tax rate, of uh, to 28% provide universal access to broadband internet, spend $45 million to eliminate all lead pipes and drinking water, uh, and only 6% actually goes towards traditional infrastructure in roads and bridges. They then said that the American Jobs Plan would create 19 million new jobs. In reality, according to the Washington Post, only 2.7 million jobs can be attributed to this bill. That's a little bit of a discrepancy. Uh, he also said that he would add one million jobs, or had added one million jobs in his first 100 days. This is true. All right, we're fact checking. This is true. One million jobs first 100 days. That is true. Uh, in contrast, um, th- th- a million jobs in three months is not. Like incredibly amazing. It is the most of a, of a president's first uh, term. However, if you look at the number of jobs that were lost at the beginning of COVID, we have seen a significant trend towards rebuilding jobs. For example, in May through September of 2020, while President Trump was in office, so over a four-month span, 11.4 million jobs were added at that time. So yes, he did add 1 million jobs in his first 3 months, but that is not necessarily the accomplishment that uh, it would appear to be if you look at COVID numbers of of job. Uh, What happened with jobs because of COVID. All right. Um, And then it was, he hailed this as one of his greatest victories giving desperate aid desperately needed aid to the American populace um, so let's just think about this for one second okay again 1.9 trillion dollar bills so basically two trillion dollars which we don't have by the way only 21 percent of that bill was actually related to covid 19 according to Newsweek And according to Congress.gov, the other 79% went to farmer reparations, bridges in New York and California, funding for arts, humanities, museums, and libraries, and funding specifically to Howard University, Gallaudet University, National Technical Institute for the Deaf, and only $50 billion allocated to support small businesses, but over $166 billion going to education while our schools were closed. Then he talked about uh, police reform. He talked about the fact that Congress needs to pass a George Floyd policing bill. Um, The bill has some positive elements, but if you look at it, the actual bill from congress.gov, you will find that it seems to be a pathway to federalizing our police, turning our local police departments into a federal police force, because it makes what we do with current policing almost impossible. Impossible. Um, it, it with the its limits on on less less on lethal force and ending qualified immunity in the good faith Qua- clause, redirecting federal funds to community-based oversight organizations, uh, a national police misconduct registry publicly available, requiring states to send quarterly reports to the AG on misconduct and noncompliance, a ten percent decrease in funds. And uh, I, I'm not going to get into the whole George Floyd element of this, but, uh, you know, he's and he, he's pushing this on the deaths of George Floyd, Makia Bryant, and Dante Wright, and I, I just don't have time today to get into those because I, I want to transition here from Biden in a few minutes, and we are going to quickly, but I will just say that this bill's focus on race does not actually equate with factual police data, which is that so far this year, according to the Washington Post, police have killed 114 white people, 62 black people, but that's not, you know, again, don't have time to get into that today. Uh, COVID. The president um, was, was doing a victory lap on COVID, again, even though they were socially distanced in a chamber where everyone there had been vaccinated or had a negative COVID test, but Um, When Biden took office, he said that only 8% of Americans over the age of 65 had gotten the vaccine. Yes. Uh, But when he took office, vaccinations had also only been given out for about a month and were only uh, available to a certain sector of the population. But the whole reason they were available was because of Trump's Operation Warp Speed, which the president is now taking credit for, but, you know, whatever. Um... Healthcare workers, essential workers, and people over the age of 75 were vaccinated first, hence why there were fewer people vaccinated over 65. So if, you, if that was the number, if you went from 75 to 65, that is how you get that 8% number. So there was some clever mathematics and verbal uh, gymnastics there. Um. <laughs> Steven Crowder pointed out a fun fact that Trump's vaccine doesn't clot your blood, but I won't even go there. Um, he also claimed that at the rate of vaccinations we were getting under Trump we would not have reached 200 million shots until September but if you look at graphs uh, it it appears that the reasoning it's it's plausible that perhaps the reason more vaccines were administered uh, was because more were uh, available and also by the way vaccination was left up to the states to do, not the federal government. So he's taking a victory lap on something that was not uh, not his anyway. Um, he said that Congress needs to pass H.R. 127 in order to stop shootings because clearly criminals follow laws. The bill, by the way, has already passed the House of Representatives. So if it passes the Senate and is signed by the President, it becomes law. So he, the The House has already done this, but this is what, according to Congress.gov, again, is what's in the bill. This would be a database of nationwide licensing for possession of firearms and ammunition made accessible to law enforcement and the public. So before somebody's going to come rob your house, they can Google you to find out what guns you have and what ammunition you might have as well. So if you have five rounds, he brings ten. Guess who's going to win? Obtaining a license would require a psychological evaluation involving members of your household and any ex-spouses who clearly would not have any reason to be upset with you whatsoever, Uh, you would have to submit notice to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and notify the Attorney General if you wanted to loan a firearm. So if your son would like to, your 30-year-old son would like to borrow your rifle when you are out uh, hunting, if you were going to hand him that gun, that is now uh, illegal. You would have to notify the Attorney General before allowing him uh, to shoot the deer with your gun. Mandatory 24-hour training for obtaining a gun license. It's not opposed to that. I think that everyone should have training on how to properly use a firearm before obtaining a firearm. An annual $800 gun insurance fee required. Also not necessarily opposed to that, but what, what does it cover and who does it cover? Additional license for military-style weapons. What is a military-style weapon? Is a knife considered a military-style weapon? Because uh, we have seen multiple people attempt to kill others with knives and or people being killed with knives this past, uh, just in the past week there'd be a, pan- a ban on 10 plus round magazines again so only the criminals will have those um or the government so nothing could possibly go wrong there it's not like we've ever seen throughout history a government uh taking away firearms or severely restricting uh, the the people's access to them and then there being some sort of you know government overreach where millions of people die we've never seen that happen before um and penalties for any violations in the range of five to $75,000. The president also said nobody needs a gun with 100 bullets. We need to limit magazine rounds. But if you look at the Orange County Register, you would find that it is estimated it takes roughly 12 shots to incapacitate an intruder who is intent on doing your harm. And the assault weapons ban bans capacities over 12. The use of high-capacity guns has stayed steady or increased since the assault weapons ban, according to UPenn. He also said, you know, we've got to close the gun show loophole. There, there, is, there is no gun show loophole, alright? Even the Washington Post. Obama said this when he was in office, and the Washington Post gave the claim to Pinocchio's. All right. Please go to a gun show and try to buy a gun, and then we will talk about the gun show loophole. Oh. And there are, there are so many more aspects of this that we could get into. Um, but I, I th- one thing I think is really interesting uh, is that if you look at the, the, uh, the media that is, that is talking about the takeaways, you can just Google anybody that has takeaways from Biden's address to Congress, there's really nothing there. Um, the takeaways are not really takeaways. So, for example, the New York Times had an article, uh, four takeaways from the president's joint address. Okay? These are the four takeaways. One, history was made because you had two women standing behind the president. Two, uh, the president wants to be more than a transitional president. Uh, Three, he took a victory lap on the coronavirus, and four, bipartisanship has its limits. Those are the takeaways (laughs) that a um, shall we say left-leaning organization, that's what they got. That's what they got from this speech. This speech was, was high on emotion and low on policy, but the policy that we did here was incredibly socialistic, and socialism is a gateway drug to communism, if you will, but, you know, we can't talk about that. And I could keep going, and I could keep going, and I could keep going, but I'm not going to because... What I want to do with my podcast today, I would like to yield the floor uh, to Senator Tim Scott because a lot of people (laughs) didn't watch the president's speech for one thing, and then uh, many of those that did and many of those that didn't missed out on Senator Scott's response, and I think that that it was it is the message that our nation needed to hear was not the message the president gave, but the message that Senator Tim Scott, a black man from the state of uh of south carolina it it's just so good. I have liked this guy for years, and I think that a lot more a lot more people are going to like him now, and I would not be surprised and you can't ever tack your tack your political aspirations onto one speech, although one speech did uh, did launch Obama, so never know. Um, uh, but a DeSantis-Tim Scott ticket, 2024, could be very, very interesting. I also think that Uh, it will be very interesting to see what happens in 2022. We had some interesting news this week about California losing some congressional seats, Texas gaining some congressional seats, but depends on where they're drawn in as to how that may or may not affect the actual balance of power in the House. But if this speech is any indication, I do not see Democrats uh, picking up seats in the House next year. I, I just don't see it. I think that you could have a red wave hit in 2022 in the House, and I would not be surprised. It, it, it appears to me, from my perspective, that Joe Biden is governing like a one-term president, and he is trying to push through uh, as much stuff, and by stuff I mean not middle-of-the-ground stuff that is bipartisan, but he is trying to bring in this, uh, this agenda that is highly divisive, um, highly suppressive, in my personal opinion, and uh, generally anti-American, to be quite honest with you. And he's trying to get it done quickly, and I believe um, that is because he's governing as a one-term president, whether that's something that is is due to health reasons or just uh, I don't. I don't know what it is, but that's that's the impression that I get by how he is governing right now, and how quickly he is trying to do such radical things. And you would be like, they're not radical. No, they they really they kind of are. Um, for somebody in a hundred days to be pushing the things that he is pushing already... You know, generally you at least have like a honeymoon period with the president. Or, you know, th- that's true. I'll, I'll give you that. Presidents do come in and they'll, d- they'll do a lot. But if you look at the number of executive orders he went with, the number of things that he's trying to do that are just extremely left-wing, uh, it's I, I don't know how the country is going to respond to it, but I don't think it's going to be a very positive response. And I think that next year's midterm elections will, will speak into that uh, very clearly. But anyway... So we're going to wrap things up today. I'm going to stop talking because I want you to hear Senator Scott's speech if you missed it. It's only like maybe 14 minutes, and it is so good. It is so good. So if you missed it, enjoy this. Uh, This is uh, Senator Tim Scott with the Republican response to the president's address last night. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time on The Fertile Show.
0: Good evening. I'm Senator Tim Scott from the great state of South Carolina. We just heard President Biden's first address to Congress. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words, but President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. I won't waste your time with finger pointing or partisan bickering. You can get that on TV anytime you want. I want to have an honest conversation about common sense and common ground, about this feeling that our nation is sliding off its shared foundation and how we move forward together. Growing up, I never dreamed I would be standing here tonight. When I was a kid, my parents divorced. My mother, my brother, and I moved in with my grandparents, three of us sharing one bedroom. I was disillusioned and angry, and I nearly failed out of school. But I was blessed, first with a praying mama. And and let me say this, to the single mothers out there, Who are working their tails off working hard trying to make the ends meet wondering if it's worth it you can bet it is god bless your amazing effort on heart of your kids i was also blessed by a chick-fil-a operator john Moniz, and finally with a string of opportunities that are only possible here in america this past year I've watched COVID attack every rung of the ladder that helped me up. So many families have lost parents and grandparents too early. So many small businesses have gone under. Becoming a Christian transformed my life. But for months, too many churches were shut down. Most of all, I'm saddened that millions of kids have lost a year of learning when they could not afford to lose a single day. Locking vulnerable kids out of the classroom is locking adults out of their future. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown ups set science aside, and kids like me were left behind. The clearest case I've seen for school choice in our lifetimes, because we know that education is the closest thing to magic in America. Last year, under Republican leadership, we passed five bipartisan COVID packages. Congress supported our schools, our hospitals, saved our economy, and funded Operation Warp Speed, delivering vaccines in record time. All five bills got 90, 90 votes in the Senate. Common sense found common ground. In February, Republicans told President Biden we wanted to keep working together to finish this fight. But Democrats wanted to go it alone. They spent almost $2 trillion on a partisan bill that the White House bragged was the most liberal bill in American history. Only 1% went to vaccinations, no requirement to reopen schools promptly. COVID brought Congress together five times. This administration pushed us apart. Another issue that should unite us is infrastructure. Republicans support everything you think of when you think of infrastructure. Roads, bridges, ports, airports, waterways, high-speed broadband, we're in for all of that. But again, Democrats want a partisan wish list They won't even build bridges to build bridges. Less than 6% of the president's plan goes to roads and bridges. It's a liberal wish list of big government waste, plus the biggest job-killing tax hikes in a generation. Experts say when all is said and done, it would lower wages of the average American worker and shrink our economy. Tonight, We also heard about a so-called family plan, even more taxing, even more spending to put Washington even more in the middle of your life from the cradle to college. The beauty of the American dream is that families get to define it for themselves. We should be expanding opportunities and options for all families, not throwing money at certain issues because Democrats think they know best, infrastructure spending that shrinks our economy is not common sense. Weakening our southern borders and creating a crisis is not compassionate. The president is also abandoning principles he's held for decades. Now he says your tax dollars should fund abortions. He's laying groundwork to pack the Supreme Court. This is not common ground. Nowhere. Do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race? I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason, to be followed around a store while I'm shopping. I remember every morning at the kitchen table, my grandfather would open the newspaper and read it, I thought. But later I realized he had never learned to read it. HE JUST WANTED TO SET THE RIGHT EXAMPLE.
1: Depends on how you I'VE ALSO
0: EXPERIENCED you A them. DIFFERENT KIND OF INTOLERANCE.
1: Possibly bad. I GET
0: CALLED UNCLE TOM AND THE N-WORD BY PROGRESSIVES, BY LIBERALS. JUST LAST WEEK, A NATIONAL NEWSPAPER SUGGESTED MY FAMILY'S POVERTY WAS ACTUALLY PRIVILEGE, BECAUSE A RELATIVE OWNED LAND GENERATIONS BEFORE MY TIME. BELIEVE ME, I KNOW FIRSTHAND, OUR HEALING IS NOT FINISHED. In 2015, after the shooting of Walter Scott, I wrote a bill to fund body cameras. Last year, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I built an even bigger police reform proposal. But my Democratic colleagues blocked it. I extended an olive branch. I offered amendments, but Democrats used a filibuster to block the debate from even happening. My friends across the aisle seemed to want the issue more than they wanted a solution. But I'm still working. I'm hopeful that this will be different. When America comes together, we've made tremendous progress, but powerful forces want to pull us apart. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again, and if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. I'm an African-American has voted in the South my entire life. I take voting rights personally. Republicans support making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so do the voters. Big majorities of Americans support early voting and big majority support voter ID, including African Americans and Hispanics. Common sense makes common ground. But today, this conversation has collapsed. The state of Georgia passed a law that expands early voting, preserves no excuse mail-in voting, and despite what the president claimed, did not reduce election day hours. If you actually read this law, it's mainstream. It will be easier to vote early in Georgia than in Democrat-run New York. But the left doesn't want you to know that. They want people virtue signaling by yelling about a law they haven't even read. Fact checkers have called out the White House for misstatements. The president absurdly claims that this is worse than Jim Crow. What is going on here? I'll tell you, a Washington power grab. This misplaced outrage is supposed to justify Democrats' new sweeping bill that would, bill that would take over elections for all I will 50 you states. On my way back. It would send public funds to political campaigns you disagree with and make the bipartisan Federal Elections Commission partisan. This is not about civil rights or our racial past. It's about breaking elections in the future. And no, the same filibuster that President Obama and President Biden praised when they were senators, the same filibuster that the Democrats used to kill my police reform bill last year, has not suddenly become a racist relic just because the shoe is now on the other foot. Race is not a political weapon to settle every issue the way one side wants. It's far too important. This should be a joyful springtime for our nation. This administration inherited a tide that had already turned. The coronavirus is on the run. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed and the Trump administration, our country is flooded with safe and effective vaccines. Thanks to our bipartisan work last year, job openings are rebounding. So why do we feel so divided, anxious? A nation with so much cause for hope should not feel so heavy late. A president who promised to bring us together should not be pushing agendas that tear us apart. The American family deserves better, and we know what better looks like. Just before COVID, we had the most inclusive economy in my lifetime, the lowest unemployment rates ever recorded for African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and a 70-year low nearly for women. Wages were, hear me, wages were growing faster at the bottom than at the top. The bottom 25% saw their wages go up faster than the top 25%. That happened because Republicans focused on expanding opportunity for all Americans. In addition to that, we passed opportunity zones, criminal justice reform, and permanent funding for historically black colleges and universities for the first time ever. We fought the drug epidemic, rebuilt our military, and cut taxes for working families and single moms like the one that raised me. Our best future will not come from Washington schemes or socialist dreams. It will come from you, the American people. Black, Hispanic, white, and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together, and we get to live in the greatest country on earth, the country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story, not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. I am standing here because my mom has prayed me through some really tough times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. So I will close with a word from a worship song that really helped me through this past year of COVID. The music is new, but the words draw from scripture. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. In your weeping and your rejoicing, he is for you. May his favor be upon our nation for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. Good night and God bless the United States of America.